DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents The Letters of St. Therese of Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher is a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, a religious community dedicated to retreats and spiritual direction according to the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. He is featured on several series found on the Eternal Word television network. He is also author of numerous books on the spiritual teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the Venerable Bruno Lanteri, founder of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, as well as other works focused on aspects of the spiritual life. The Letters of St. Therese of Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Father Gallagher. Thank you, Chris. Always good to be here. Talk to us about St. Therese. What is the little flower to you? One thing I've noticed, if you look at the writings of most people, when they write or speak about Therese, they always start with how they first encountered Therese. Uh, if you look at Dorothy Day's book on Therese, for example, that's the way she begins. Or, But you see this as kind of a pattern. In my own case, it's very simple. This was before I entered the seminary, and at a certain point, I'm a reader, I love to read, and resolved that I probably should do some spiritual reading, a little reluctantly, because what I really like are stories and those sorts of things. Maybe it was Lent, I don't recall. But I remember going to a shelf, a bookcase with uh, spiritual books, going through them, not really being drawn to anything. And then I saw this title that said Story of a Soul. And it was the word story that caught my attention because I love stories. So I thought, well, maybe that'll be a little easier to read than some of the others. Began reading it and immediately fell in love with it. And uh, Therese has been a significant part of life for me since then, very much at the origins of the process that led to entering the seminary. After theological studies, perhaps having read the basic sources, uh, it felt like something done and kind of there, but more recently has opened up in a wonderful way again that leads to what we're doing now and a rereading of the sources and amplifying that reading and just coming to see in a, in a new way the remarkable figure that she is. And so that's what leads us to, to do this now. I, you know, it was Pope St. Pius X who called her the greatest saint of modern times. And um, I think we can easily not agreement at that, now declared a doctor. There's so much there. So I have the feeling that as we dive into this huge sea that is the life and teaching and writings of uh, St. Therese, that you can't go wrong. You know, wherever you enter, there's always going to be richness. You know, it strikes me that some of our listeners may be thinking, what's Father Gallagher? And he's an expert on Ignatian spirituality. And yet they may not realize that there's a heavy Carmelite influence in the Oblates of the Virgin Mary through the spirituality and the life of their founder, Venerable Bruno Lanteri, that it's not a real push to see where in the charism of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, this calling, as it were, to also come to a ability to be able to communicate aspects of that Carmelite living. 
Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. I mean, as I mentioned, I initially came to her before I even knew Venerable Bruno. But once I entered and got to know him well, discovered exactly as you said that he was essentially Ignatian, but not exclusively Ignatian. And you, you do see a lovely Carmelite component. For example, as he is approaching his ordination to the priesthood, you see amongst his spiritual proposals the plan to read in its entirety the writings of uh, St. Teresa of Avila. Also familiar with St. John of the Cross, of course, St. Therese comes after his lifetime. So that component is very much there. What is contemplative, what involves growth in prayer and, and deep prayer, and the, the kind of things that lie at the heart of the Carmelite vocation, all of that is very real in him, not only in his, his learning, but very much in his own experience as well, in his own prayer. It's so fascinating that, as you said, Pope St. Pius X would say that she is, again, one of the most significant, one of the most important saints of the 20th century, that she would be. At a time, an era where the family has been so much under attack, the fact that this little flower can bloom in a garden of a family, as it were, that they themselves have become saints. And not only her mother and father, but it looks as though her sisters are on their way in this area of the cause of canonization. Well, the cause of her sister Leonie, uh, who would have seemed a very unlikely candidate of all the sisters, the most unlikely candidate for sanctity, that cause is underway now. She's the servant of God, Leonie Martin. And yes, there is a movement to try to promote the cause of the other sisters as well. In God's time, we'll see where all of that goes. But you do have, um, you have a family which is very much built on faith, on the search for holiness, on love for the church, on the desire to respond to God's vocation, in which all the members strengthen each other. And you see that in the letters that we'll be looking at. And of course, you see it in Therese's deep gratitude to her parents and her love for her sisters. Their family is simply a remarkable witness to a family as a family. It's the kind of family everyone would hope for, where there's a deep unity and bond and love between the members, and not only the immediate family, but also with the more extended family, uh, very specifically Therese's aunt and uncle and their uh, two daughters. And, and you see the great love there amongst all of them. You can go through all of the letters, and that's two volumes, 1,300 pages. And all you will see is uh, there are times when there are some disagreements about this decision or that decision. You see some of that. But enveloping everything and underlying everything and above everything, what you see is a deeply united and loving family. It's a beautiful witness to the family, very much. The letters of St. Therese are absolutely remarkable. If you are a devotee of the story of the soul, that in itself can sustain you for a lifetime. But the letters give us a fullness, a, a, a beautiful, rich imagery. And I say this in all reverence, but a more complete picture of Therese, doesn't it? Well, as you've said, Chris, I think uh, it's obvious that the real center to get to know Therese is the story of a soul. That's the real heart of it. And then around that, there are other primary sources as well. What's called her last conversations, where her sisters and some of the others in the convent recorded her sayings and doings in her last months. The book entitled Therese by Those Who Knew Her, which is a large extract of the witnesses 
that were given on the diocesan level as her cause for canonization was begun. So these were people speaking out of their own personal recollections of Therese about Therese. If you want to push it a little further, the volume of her poems and her plays, which have their uh, a real richness as well. But our initial focus will be the letters, probably because they don't get cited all that much. You know, uh, We may have the feeling that uh, looking at passages in the story of the soul, which we'll get to, that this is familiar territory. The letters might be less so. It does take a little bit of energy and uh, persistence, I'd say, to read them because it is fairly lengthy, but they are remarkably well done, uh, amply annotated with very helpful footnotes, with introductions. So they are a very rich resource to take the next step. The first step would, would be the story of a soul. But if a person wants to take the next step, then the letters would be the next step. There is a remarkable heritage that we've received in the, from the lives of the saints through their letters. I, I think of the letters of, of course, Teresa of Avila, Ignatius of Loyola. But it, we've seen through the letters of Venerable Bruno Lanteri the letters of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. There's a, I, the list could go on and on. And I have to say the letters of Catherine of Siena. When you read those, you get a real sense of the friendships, the, the family relationships, the, their interaction with those around them and with the world, don't you? Uh, soon to be St. John Henry Newman says at one point in his writings that his sense of the best way to get to know a person is not through a biography, but through reading the person's letters. And I think, as is generally true, he is right on the mark, generally true of what uh, I'll call him St. John Henry Newman says. He is, I think, right on the mark. Today, I suppose we do this more digitally, but if you were to take a selection of 30, 50 emails of a correspondence between two friends or two family members or uh, two people who um, love the Lord and whom you know sanctity is evident, you would get, with a great immediacy, you would get a feel for the person. And that's what you get here with Therese. Now, there are qualities about her letters that, um, I'll just mention one now. As I read through them over a number of months, it dawned on me after a while, all of these letters are other-centered. It just It's remarkable. Um, this is not a woman who is writing because she needs to write for her own sake. Um, but if you look at all of these letters, commemorations of family members' birthdays, uh, encouragement to her father after she's left home, and he, she knows he's suffering uh, her loss, and we could, or her sister Celine, who is caring for his father or her father in the, uh, his illness. It, it's remarkable that we think of her as the one who practiced love, um, a very loving person, which she certainly is. If you want to get a concrete feel for that, of course, after the story of the soul, you can just read these letters. You know, most of us, when we write emails or letters, um, they'll be. Something that's a bit self-centered. That's not. I mean, that don't want to uh, criticize that too much. Our friends, family members, do want to know, but uh, we may have some complaints here or there, or be unhappy about something here or there, uh, be angry about something here or there. In Therese, the one thing that you see is love, and after you go through this, after a while, a vision arises of 
if this woman who is writing this way so consistently in every relationship that you see portrayed in the letters lived this way within her community, her presence must have been a very beautiful thing. Uh, if she lived, there's no question that she did, but what you see when she spontaneously expresses what's in her heart in the letters, if that's what was in her heart as she actually um, interacted with the people with whom she shared life day by day. For us, we can think of our families, our workplaces, or parishes. Then uh, you get the image of what love can really mean in very ordinary, humble, concrete ways, as, uh, as we'll see. So they're the beauty. I'd say in the story of a soul, you get all of this in a very concentrated form because she's simply speaking of her own experience. In the letters, it emerges gradually as you go through them and in some sense all the more powerfully for that as you begin to realize what is not there in these letters and what is consistently there. And it's only one thing. I am aware of the other person. I know what he or she is going through. I want my love to strengthen and accompany, in some cases enlighten this person in what the person is going through. So there's a real beauty in it as you read them. We'll return to the letters of St. Therese of Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. A prayer for the intercession of Venerable Bruno Lanteri. O Father, fountain of all life and holiness, you gave Father Bruno Lanteri great faith in Christ your Son, a lively hope, and an act of love for the salvation of his brethren. You made him a prophet of your word and a witness to your mercy. He had a tender love for Mary, and by his very life he taught fidelity to the Church. Father, hear the prayer of your family, and through the intercession of Father Lanteri, grant us the grace for which we now ask. May he be glorified on earth, that we may give you greater praise. We ask this through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. 
If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to The Letters of St. Therese of the Sioux, the Father Timothy Gallagher. Just to give a sense of these opening letters that we'll be discussing, the time and place of France, the, the cultural issues that surround us today influence how we respond and how we love and maybe interact with things. Sometimes when you think of the family in Lassoud, they're living this idyllic little island of love in that family, and yet around them, there's still a lot of fallout from what occurred, the terror, even only just a couple of generations before and the circumstances of a world that's on the verge of some incredible changes. So can you help us with a little bit with understanding how that might affect the family? Therese is born in 1873, dies at 24 years of age in 1897. So it's the, the final part of the um, 19th century. It is a time of a lot of inventions, railroads have come in, industrial revolution is very well uh, in place at this point. As regards the church, it's a time of a lot of tension. You have an increasingly hostile and secular government and uh, culture at large, and uh, a very uh, a very strong anti-clericalism. Not an indifference, but an active hostility uh, toward the church. And so you have Catholics, on the other hand, that are somewhat entrenched uh, within their safe spaces, uh, within their churches or organizations. Um, so there, there is a very difficult atmosphere outside the family home, which was very firm in its Catholic faith. And well, j just to give you one example, when um, uh, St. Therese's mother, now St. Zélie Martin, in the last months of her life, in the hope of... Um, a cure from the breast cancer, which would take her life just a few months later, goes on a physically difficult pilgrimage down to Lourdes. And when the train returns with the people of this pilgrimage, they are, and she knows this is going to happen, uh, there are people waiting for the train to mock the pilgrims uh, for their incredulity and naivete and thinking that they were going to get some kind of grace or healing or something special from all this superstition. So we, we wouldn't even dream of that being the case today, but that's the climate of, of it. And she's willing to brave that, knowing that. And we have uh, instances of her husband also, uh, now St. Louis, uh, bravely facing this kind of thing, not being ashamed to be seen publicly as a Catholic. So it, it is a difficult situation around them uh, in the church. And they grow up very much in that. Uh, her uncle was a very staunch, even militant uh, Catholic once he began to take his faith very seriously. So that would be the surrounding uh, situation. In her part of Normandy, in this northwestern corner of, of France, there is a very strong, uh, faithful Catholic presence. And she grows up in what is an exclusively Catholic world. Her schooling is all in Catholic institutions, and of course, she enters the monastery. 
So that would be a, a little bit of the background that we see there. In terms of the family, uh, the family lived in um, financially comfortable circumstances due to the skill of both parents in their respective businesses. Uh, her father uh, had a, a watch and jewelry business, at he, which, which he was very skilled. And her mother created a lace-making business, which was uh, a typical industry of Alençon, the town where uh, Therese was born and lived her first years. And her mother uh, was very enterprising, hardworking, and created a very successful business, so much so that eventually her husband, Louis, um, sold his business so that he could help her. She was just uh, incredibly overworked with five daughters to raise and a, a large and flourishing business. So the family was uh, basically a middle class, working, and comfortable financially. And that's, so that gives a little sense anyway. I, I think we have to mention... Uh, her parents, at least for a moment, because what's the saints? Saints make saints. And as you alluded to, her parents are now saints of the church that we can turn to and pray with and look to them. What would you have to say about her parents just as a, an introduction? Well, my suggestion as we talked about this was that before moving to Therese letters, remaining in the genre of letters, we look at some of the letters of her mother. Um, her, her, her father, Louis, never really wrote too many letters. So we have very few letters of his, but his mother, her mother was a prolific letter writer, um, kind of heroically. You know, at the end of long days of uh, caring for her daughters and managing her business, she would stay up at night and write these lengthy letters to her daughters at boarding school or her, her uh, sister-in-law, um, with whom she was very close. And, uh, or her, her own sister, who was uh, a nun in the convent where her, um, her daughters also went to school at the boarding school run by these visitation sisters. Uh, so we have preserved and published 218 letters of her mother. And I, I think it'd be helpful to look at a few of those from the time when Therese is already born. But let's introduce that by looking at some of the things that Therese's sisters said about their mother. What we'll do, Chris, in everything we look at, my intention is we'll, we'll stay with the primary sources because we have such a richness of them. From those, I think we can best find our content. So this is from the uh, sisters of St. Therese. Now, two years before her sister Celine died, and Celine, who was the longest living of them, died in 1959, remarkably close to our own time, and probably overlaps with the life of some of us listening uh, now. Two years before she died, the superiors asked that she write a memoir of both parents, and she did. We have these little books where that Celine wrote, and they're very interesting. At the beginning of the one about her mother, which is entitled The Mother of the Little Flower, she quotes from um, her, her own sisters as they say this about their mother. Our mother was abnegation personified. It's very true. You know, I've noted that if Therese is so other-centered, certainly it's a work of grace in her, but she certainly, at least in the brief time, the four years that she had when her mother was still alive, and certainly her mother imbued this in the family, she had a mother who was remarkably other-centered as well. Uh, John Paul II's Law of the Gift, you know, that 
as long as we seek to be happy by seeking my time, my plans, my, my projects, we're never going to be happy. But when we give ourselves in love to God and to others, in service and in love to others, then a wonderful thing happens. We become happy. Well, that law of the gift is exemplified in Zeli in just a very beautiful way. And that's the first thing, then, that the sisters note here. Our mother was abnegation personified, gifted with a great courage, and she certainly had that too. She was not one to hold back and hesitate and shrink and be afraid, but from nothing she created a business. She wanted her do- her daughters, in order to get married, would have needed a dowry. And she was determined, because she had suffered this way in her own life, her earlier life was not easy, she was determined that her daughters were going to have uh, what they needed, and for that reason created this business, and very successfully. Gifted with a great courage and an extraordinarily energetic character. Yeah, she never stopped. <laughs> she, was, she was very hardworking, almost to a fault, I would say. She had a very sensitive and very generous heart. She was very loving. Turned always to God, woman of great faith, in whom she had a truly heroic confidence. We'll look at some of the uh, testimonies from the process of canonization of Therese. And this book is entitled St. Therese of Lisieux by those who knew her, which is a wonderful resource also to get to know Therese. And so here it is uh, the oldest of the sisters, Marie, who is speaking about her mother. Mother was very energetic, so you see it there again, and lively but without any harshness, and she had a very sensitive and generous heart. Uh, She really created, together with her husband, because they were so united, this was a very loving uh, household. Not one that would give in to whims and caprices of the children, that was firm where it needed to be firm, but it was all done out of love and therefore very readily accepted. With the exception of Leonie, whose character was very difficult, and there was a reason for that that I'd say Lee only discovered later on. Above all, she had the spirit of self-denial, there it is again, which made her forgetful of herself. One of the sisters, I think this is Celine, remembers watching their mother in the morning getting breakfast for the whole family and seeing to it that everyone had everything that he or she needed and herself just... Um, sipping a little broth or something along the way, just not even thinking about herself. This is a a very profound um, quality of her mother. A spirit of self-denial which made her forgetful of herself, and she worked with great fortitude so as to have the means of giving us a good Christian upbringing, the schooling they needed and all that they would need. In sorrow too, for example, at the death of my brothers and sisters, so four of Therese's brothers and sisters died at a very early age, Uh, two brothers and one sister shortly after birth in the first year and then another in her fifth year, uh, Helene, who was a real jewel and uh, her mother loved very deeply. So sorrow was very much a part of Zaylee's life. And when that happened, uh, she showed wonderful strength of soul. One could see from her letters that she was brokenhearted, but her faith helped her to rise above it all. Oh, Since we're speaking about the parents, I'll go on for one more paragraph about her father. Father's outstanding characteristic was his very great honesty. He set himself the task of declaring his faith even before unbelievers. So here are some examples of this. Marie, I should say, by the way, Marie is 
uh, she's sort of blunt. She just sort of says what she has to say. And she was always a bit like this uh, in her life. Sometimes for good and sometimes a little less good. When the priest came to bring Holy Viaticum to our dying mother, he, her father, offered to escort the Blessed Sacrament as far as the church with a candle in his hand. Now, in those days, with his strong anti-clericalism, he was exposing himself to a lot of ridicule, a businessman publicly carrying a candle to accompany the priest through the streets. But that's the kind of thing that he would do without pause. He was very charitable, and he was that reaching out to others' needs, and so devoted to his neighbor that he would never allow anyone to speak ill of him. His whole character gave an impression of kindness. One also observed in him a great purity of life which was reflected in his whole person. He took the utmost care to remove from us anything which he thought might be an occasion of temptation. And then this is now Céline, also in the cause of canonization. What impressed me most about my parents was their detachment from the things of this world. Life at home was simple and patriarchal. Um, Louis, the father, was very much the center. We shunned the disturbance of worldly acquaintances and tended to keep to ourselves, and especially when they moved to Lisieux. When they were at Alençon, the, the family home was on a, a busy street. Uh, you opened the door, you were in the street. So they were there in the midst of the life of the city. When they moved to Lisieux, however, the house to which they, they moved was isolated. It had its own uh, grounds around it, and um, there were other houses, but they were very much in their own space. And so even the space itself tended to uh, create a kind of closed environment for the family in that way as well. Life at home was simple, and we shunned the disturbance of worldly acquaintances and tended to keep to ourselves. And in fact, Therese's relationships were basically within the family. Her own immediate family, her aunt and uncle, and their two daughters, her first cousins, and then some second cousins as well. It would be safe to say that her parents wouldn't have given her a smartphone at an early age. What an interesting question. I think you'd have to say that that's the case, because, you know, things changed. When they were at Alençon, the family life was very different. Her father had his circle of friends with whom he'd spend time. There were church organizations they were involved in. And her mother, of course, had many acquaintances through the, the, uh, the workers. At times, she had up to 30 of them who were giving what time they could to help. And her mother also would reach out to many in need around them. So their family life was more the way family life generally is. But that after her death, things tended to close a bit when they moved not only because of the nature of the home, but because they didn't know anybody at Lisieux. They moved there because it was their mother, Zélie's wish and hope that after her death, her sister-in-law, Céline, who was the wife of her brother, Isidore, would become, as it were, the mother for the children, which uh, Céline, her uh, sister-in-law, did with great love. And for that reason, they urged Louis to move the family up to Lisieux which this is a pattern throughout Louis's life. He will always, for the sake of others, give up what is dear to him. Now, the striking illustration of this is this, the saying yes to each of the daughters as they wanted to enter Carmel. But the move from Alençon to Lisieux was very difficult, and, and it meant leaving his own mother, who was still living uh, at that time, and knowing that he would only 
return to visit her from time to time. It also meant leaving all the friends and relationships and organizations that were so much a part of his life to move to a place where at this age in life he was unlikely to reproduce all of that, and in fact never really did. Of course, as I mentioned earlier, giving up his business for the sake of his wife's need. It's a pattern throughout the entirety of his life. And you see that when they move to Lisieux, as I've just mentioned. He certainly sounds like St. Joseph, doesn't he? He's another uh, wonderful man. He doesn't come to the fore as much in the sources because it's his wife who did most of the writing. And we have very limited amount amounts of his own writing. And so we need the testimonies of others uh, about him. But yes, he's a remarkable figure of a father. You know, as I read through this volume of Zelie's letters, the volume's entitled A Call to a Deeper Love, The Family Correspondence of the Parents of St. Therese of the Child Jesus. I would warmly recommend the reading of that volume to certainly any mother who is raising children, any father who is raising children, and anyone who is living the lay vocation and wants an image of what it means to live real sanctity in the ordinary things of every day. We often will, will hear this phrase that sanctity does not mean doing extraordinary things, but doing ordinary things extraordinarily. Uh, that's an abstract statement, which is true. If you want to see that lived in the nitty-gritty of a woman after a busy day staying up to write a letter to her sister-in-law, of the friendship between them and talking about the little doings of her daughters in the course of the day, her financial worries, her concerns about uh, too much work for the business, too little work for the business, the health of one of the daughters who is suffering and so forth. This is almost the best way that I would know in our tradition to see this because we have this remarkable, not quite unique, but almost unique um, example of husband and wife uh, together, uh, in this case canonized, others are on the way. So you, you have a remarkably effective window into that. So I, I would simply warmly recommend the reading of that book to anyone, really. I mean, I'm a priest and a religious and read it and loved it and learned from it. But certainly anyone living the a lay vocation, living the married vocation, anyone called to be a parent, that simply is a wonderful resource. We'll continue this conversation with Father Timothy Gallagher in our next episode. You've been listening to The Letters of St. Therese of Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with thousands of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission and if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for The Letters of St. Therese of Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher. <laughs>